Yo, we are back once again. This is the Wu Tang Podcast. I am Singar Superior, and for this episode, I have my man Edward Bates on the line with me. Ed, how you doing, man? I'm good, good. And so for this episode, we're going to be talking about yet another Wu Tang solo classic. ODB's return to the 36 Chambers, the second solo album during the first wave of Wu-Tang albums from 1995 uh, on Electric Electra Records. At least according to RZA, this was the very first uh, hip-hop act to go gold on Electra. I guess that is true, but you know, if you kind of consider Diggable Planets, who was on Pendulum, which was an, an urban imprint of Electra, then maybe... Yeah, then maybe not exactly, because they, they went gold in 1993 through Pendulum, which which is distributed by Electra anyway. All that being said, we are here to talk about Return 36 Chambers. And Ed, I recall you telling me um, earlier this week that this is uh, your top five most listened to albums ever, right? Oh, easily. Easy, easy, easy. Up there with uh, uh, Beatles' White Album, the first Wu album, uh, the first Portishead album. I'm trying to think. I don't know what the fifth one is, but... Yeah, definitely the, the first, the 36 Chambers and this 36 Chambers, yeah, the, the Beatles White Album and Portishead. I mean, I listen to these, I don't know. And, and as I listen to it today, I got to tell you, I, I think that it's probably, even though Riz's run that you were talking about, you talk about it almost every pod, his run from from the first Wu album to uh, Wu-Tang Forever, it's just, and you guys said yesterday, it, it, it's hardly been, or on the last pod, that it had hardly been done before. It's never been done, and it will not be done again. I mean, that run that he had as far as producing, what, uh, Jizza, Ray, Iron Man, uh, ODB, Meth, 36 Chambers, and Wu-Tang Forever, so that's seven, seven, eight, the double CDs, eight albums that literally, I would say 95% of the tracks are amazing, the production is amazing, and they all have their own feel, but they still have that Wu- that woo sound to them is just, I mean, it's unprecedented and it will never, ever be done. It's amazing. It, 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 really, it really is amazing, you know, because, you know, now people, you know, they, they a lot of people, they, you know, they'll, they'll say certain things about, you know, Rizzo, what he's doing now, or maybe, you know, some of the Wu-Tang solo albums uh, from the second wave or the third wave or whatever like that. But I just think that people tend to forget the fact that, they, that RZA and the Klan had this long, unprecedented run. I mean, even ODB during the time, um, I was looking at a Billboard article, and you know, Electra, they were talking about, um, you know, really doing more of a um, of a grassroots effort to really try to, um, you know, take advantage of the grassroots promotion going on with the Klan and Loud Records, the um, the hip hop charts for that time. You know, this is '95 or whatever, and at this and on the charts, you can see uh, Method Man's Release Your Delph. And um, Raekwon's uh, Heaven or Hell was on the chart, too. So um, it's just amazing just like how, you know, like year after year, while one Wu-Tang solo record was out and it was still on the charts, then another Wu-Tang member was coming out and, you know, um, either already on the charts or about to get on the charts, whether it be through a single or just for um, or just on the album alone. Yeah, there, there was no resting on his laurels for RZA at all. He wasn't trying to be to sit back and appreciate it. He was like, let's let's put this work in. Do you remember the first time you listened to this album? Uh, I don't know if I remember the first like sitting. You know what I mean, where I sat and listened to it. But I remember uh, the time frame. You know what I mean. I was uh, I think sixteen ninety five. So yeah, I about to turn sixteen. And uh, oh my god, man, it, it was just like and from jump. 
And I was a woo head, and I came from, I grew up right outside of Pittsburgh in a real, not a real small town. It was a suburb, though, for sure. And um, there's probably, I don't know, I'll be honest, probably 15 uh, non-white kids in my in my uh, graduating class. But um, I was one of the few hip-hop heads there was, and um, I was one of the few people that would bring new stuff in, try to get people to listen to stuff, and... Uh, it's funny because uh, Dirty has a, a tendency I noticed to be real popular with like uh, with with white people as far as like heavy metal fans and punk fans and stuff because it's not like the typical rap and uh, I think that they also have an easier time uh, uh, not having to follow like uh, a tough rhyme scheme like like uh, if you listen to like a Feral Monch or uh, a Rock Kim or something. A lot of like non. If you're not a big hip hop head, you're not into that, that wordplay. And Old Dirty was a lot more fun and like uh, almost like a lot of people took him as a joke. I did not at all, but I think a lot of people thought it was like uh, he's like a Bismarcky. But I took him as a much more serious uh, MC, and uh, and he can rhyme when he when he actually got on his uh, you know MC stuff. He, he could rhyme, but uh, I think that's the, one of the reasons he was so popular with like suburban people i was also reading an article today that said um he was the first one they started his album before they even started uh matt's album but uh i guess he pissed off his uh he pissed away his advance so <laughs> they had a bunch of people doing it but he basically had to get method's album out and uh and get some money coming in because old dirty pissed away his whole advance and they couldn't get back in the studio for a little bit it's pretty funny um but he was signed first people say that old dirty shouldn't have been they were surprised he came out before Ray because he only had four verses on 36 Chambers. But to me, Jizza, Meth, and ODB were the obvious stars on 36 Chambers, even though ODB was not on that much of it. Um, he was an obvious like standout, one of the standout, and the most uh, commercially viable MC for sure. I don't know what you think. Um, I mean, yeah, most certainly. Um, you know, like just his whole appeal. Um, you know how eccentric, uh, how eccentric he was on the album. Um, on, on, uh, on Thirty Six Chambers as well. I mean, Thirty. I mean, he's like the main one who like really, um, you know, stands out on Thirty Six Chambers. And even when he was signed to Elektra, when he, when he got signed to Elektra, because RZA thought it was a good thing for him. Dante Ross, the A and R at the time, who was responsible for KMD and everything like that. And he wanted to uh, sign both Method, Method Man and ODB to try to make like a group out of them. I don't think that would have worked. I, I, you know, like I mean, you know, their songs on um, on uh, Return to Your Thirty Six is is cool, but um, I feel like uh, they they would have been better fits if uh, if Dante did have his way to make like some kind of Wu Tang duo. Sure, sure. I, I don't think uh, Dirty Dancing is like one of my least favorite songs in this album, and it's not even a bad song. That's how much I like the album, but it's uh it's definitely not, uh, yeah, I saw that he wanted to make it like a, a run DMC. And I think that would have worked. I think they would have sold a lot of albums and it, it would have been good. But I'm, I'm so glad that they didn't do that. Because, I mean, we got two. To me, it's a cow's classic. I don't know why people post, not posthumously, <laughs> but they but they look back at Takao like it was bad. When that summer that that came out, it was uh, Takao and uh, Redman were the two albums that everybody was bumping. And, uh, you know, obviously big and Nas, but I'm saying as far as like not the obvious two champions, uh, but Method Man and Redman, those were like the two classics to me. And people look back at Takao like it's not good, like it's not as good. I think that album's amazing. 
Yeah, and you can tell that, uh, you know, RZA, he was, you know, he still, like, you can tell, like, he really, like, you know, got on his shit, like, when, when Jizz's album, and then especially Raekwon's album, um, came out just like how he was putting them together but it's interesting though because out of all like out of those two albums to Cal and Return to 36 they're the closest to 36 Chambers at least aesthetically just based on how they sound I agree 100% I think this album is the closest to 36 Chambers which is I mean oh, yeah, so it's, it's actually titled it's funny because I never uh, I never really thought about that I mean it's crazy to say as much as I love Wu and I listen to it I never really thought about how close until today when I was listening to it, the production is so close. I mean, yeah, and even even the intro, man, like, you know, he's saying, hey, remember when I told y'all I got burnt with gonorrhea and it happened again? I mean, it, it even kind of like at least pick, like, you know, picks up where like 36 Chambers kind of, or at least where he left sure. off. 36 Chambers. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it definitely does. That's really funny. Tell me your first time, um, like listening to Wu Tang uh, for the very first time overall. Oh man, I remember. I mean, the first album I ever bought in my life was the Low End Theory with my own money. You know what I'm saying? Like went to the record store and bought an album. It was uh, the Low End Theory, so that was '91, I believe, yeah, or '92. And uh, got into hip hop that year. Um, I guess I was 12, and I mean, it was immediate though. I was like engulfed in it. I mean, I studied hip hop like I studied school. You know what I'm saying? Like um, people were coming. I knew like the Wu Tang Clan members' kids' names in in high school, and like I mean, it was ridiculous. People, I mean, it was ridiculous. But yeah, somebody played it for me. Actually, I heard uh, Cream. Obviously, was the first one I heard. I didn't hear it when the Tech and Act dropped. I just thought they were different. You know what I mean? Like I'm all about artists that are trying. Like even if they fail, are attempt are attempting some kind of artistic. You know, uh, start trying to push something forward. You know what I mean? I'd rather hear that than uh, somebody do the same old stuff, even if it's good. But, um, yeah, the, someone played it for me, and uh, I, I was hooked. It was every day. Every day I get home from school, 3 o'clock, first thing I did was play the Wu-Tang album. Then I would play the Too Short, Getting Where You Fit In album. Then I would go back to Wu-Tang, and i go back to Too Short. So I was always listening to everything, because I was from Houston, but grew up in Pennsylvania. So I had like people sending me stuff from Texas, and uh, I would li- kind of listen to everything. But, yeah, man. They, they played me that first Wu album, and, and that was a wrap. And the fact that there were so many MCs, and they all were different, and trying to learn their their slang and and uh, identifying who was who, you know what I mean, on every track. It was it was like it was almost like a game. It was, it was like uh, what's the word? Um, it was uh, interactive. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like listening to an album. It was like you were part of it because there was so much that you could do. You were uh, engaged as a listener. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, it, 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 was, it was never like that before. It was always like, rappers like, I'm going to tell you what I do, and this is how I do, and this is how I live. But with Wu-Tang, it was like you were learning something. You know what I mean? And they were, and they, and they were uh, I, I started reading about Five Percenters and all that stuff when I heard Wu-Tang. Like, they, they introduced me to a lot of stuff. I think, to me, you know, other than the music, I mean, just like the... Um, I'm pretty sure I probably said this on uh, past episodes, but just like the culture of it too, and just the fact that you had these nine members, then you had the Killer Bees, and that's a whole other world within itself. And then just how all of them converged, and then you know, kind of you know, disconnect, reconnect back again in different ways. And it's, it's like a big story. It's like a big narrative that has just had just hasn't ended, and it started like when '92. Yeah, it's like that's a good point. It's kind of like Greek mythology. You know what I mean? Like, and, and then you'll hear like these, and it's like, or, no, excuse me, not Greek mythology. It's more like, yeah, kind of like comic books, I guess, to where characters are all in one, like, you know, the X-Men are together and then they go off on their sides and they they make appearances in, in those albums. And, and you know what I mean? That's a really interesting thing to me. 
And uh, I like that they use each other's lyrics. You know what I mean? Like someone would say something. I, I can't think of an example right now, but somebody would say a rhyme and, and a different MC would use that line on a different album. And you could uh, reference back to that. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it was a, it, it sounds cheesy now as an adult, but it made me feel cool when I was younger to be able to, when I would sit there and people would go, what are they talking about? And I would say, and I would explain it to them. You know what I mean? That made me feel like I was like, accomplished. like I knew, I knew something that someone else didn't. You know, you were like hip to a secret. Speaking of lyrics, um, you know, I think this may be the same Method Man interview that that, uh, that you were mentioning earlier. Um, and he was kind of talking about a particular song off of um, off of Return to the Thirty Six Chambers, and he said that a lot of the songs that a lot of the lyrics that ODB was using, you know, they kind of came from you know Jizzle or Rizzo, or just like back in the, in the all in together nowadays. Which, of course, I don't I don't know if we exactly know, you know, whether if, if these things come from Jizzle or Rizzo exactly, but you can tell that a lot some certain lyrics that they have an old school flavor to them, especially when like on Cutting Heads and which is like old as shit anyway, but also on um the joint on Damage with him and Jizzle. I mean, like how they go back and forth, and you know, I mean, it's, it's almost as if like they were back um when when Jizzle um you know brought Rizza and ODB with him when he was um, still on Cold Chillin' back yep. in the day. I thought the same thing when I listened to uh, Damage. I, I read that. I never had heard that about Jizza and Rizza writing his lyrics before, ever, until like two days ago. And then I heard, I listened to Damage today and I was like, this sounds like a genius song that he just got somebody else on. It's, you say every other line. You know what I'm saying? Cutting Heads sounds more like uh, two dudes writing it together, but D Damage to me sounds like it was a Jizza song that he said, you know, I'll rap this line, you rap that line. I'll rap, you know what I mean? Because that sounds like Jizza, Jizza, uh, like uh, cadence and everything. Yeah, it does. And you know, you would think, well, um, well, at least Buddha Monk, he doesn't, he doesn't really bring in any of that up. I mean, shit, why not? I mean, it's, I don't think it's nothing wrong. No, with not at all. And and um, yeah. it's, it's, I, I like it a lot. Did you? Did you? Did, oh yeah, the song that he said that was. Uh, yeah, don't yeah, you don't know? You yeah. know. And it's funny because I was listening to it today going. And I wrote in my little notes that I had for the podcast, like, oh, OTB's kind of being like a storyteller right here. And then I, I was like, that's odd. He's not much of a storyteller. He can't usually stick to a narrative for more than like a line or two, which is fine with me. I don't care. But I'm saying and I wrote that today and I should have known that like, yeah, he isn't. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. But that's fine. I, that doesn't yeah. bother me. You know, of course, it would have been. You know, you know how how Jizza is, how methodical he is on Liquid Swords, and how and just how Rizza is anyway. So, you know, ODB he could really like make it come to exactly. life. It's kind of like a you know like a soul singer from the seventies who wasn't like a songwriter at all, but you know they got some shit for Smokey Robinson and they made that shit pop. Exactly. Yeah, I remember reading a Ghostface lyric a long time ago, where, or a Ghostface article where he said, "Old Dirty would tell him, I thought, well, I could say your rhymes better than you can." You know what I mean? Say it like that. Like, you know, give me your rhymes. I'll spit them better than you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Especially now with all this, uh, in the current culture with all this ghostwriting stuff. At least if you're getting the ghostwriter and it's like your homie. You know what I mean? That's different. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, you know, Wu-Tang is a very um, intertwined collective anyway. So, I mean, it would make sense, that, you know, especially, if, you know, throwing ideas off of each other. Maybe RZA may say something, Method Man may say And then especially, like, if... um. If you know if ODB is on someone's album or if Method Man's on you know Jizz's album, then of course Jizz may want him to say something a bit sure, different sure. on his album. And think if you have like think of how much how many great not verses but individual lines or one-liners that are wasted because say you're all battling to get on a song and you got has a, a verse a little bit worse than Ghostface's, so Ghostface gets the run. There might be five or six classic lines in you God's verse that we'll never hear. 
or he might use them for something else, but why not let someone else get it? You know what I mean? So it's not getting wasted. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, going back to what, going back to Dante Ross and him wanting Method Man, I think that ODB and Yugo probably could have made an interesting duo. Really? Yeah. I, I, I hate to say this because I'm, I would never dog out any of the fan members, but to me, you got, and I know you love Master Killer. I've, I've learned that from listening to your podcast, and I, I will not dog Master Killer either, but I feel like there was a reason that they had the least amount of uh, verses on the first album. And obviously because Master Killer had just got down and You God was locked up. But uh, I feel like You God, like, he has some really classic verses, but as he's, he's, he only bats about 50% to me. You know what I mean? Especially once we got to, like, Wu-Tang, after Wu-Tang Forever, and it's oh, Black Shinapoo. I can't, that's the worst song in Wu-Tang history. But uh, sorry, I hate to talk him out, but you guys are my least favorite member of Wu-Tang. And it used to be Master Killer until I got older and started to appreciate more of what Master Killer was saying. And his reserve flow, I came to appreciate it more. Um, but yeah, you got to me, like, I don't know, you got an old dirty, I think they would be good. I always, I think that uh, RZA and Old Dirty would be a nice pairing. Because they're both kind of wild and crazy, but uh, RZA, uh, RZA can rap normal. I don't know. I think it's. I think th- their voices are kind of similar. Uh, old Dirties and You Guys, don't you think? I know You God has that deep baritone, but I don't know. Like I feel like it would be too. There's not enough variation in their uh, in their sounds. I don't know. I could be tripping. I don't know. It's, I have to think about that. But that's an interesting idea for sure. Well, so so the reason, well, so like massacre. Well, you know, well, you know, I, I think you, especially like based on what you got, like wrote, like wrote um, in the book in his book that just came out recently. Um, you know, him and Massacre, they they, they kind of had like similar trajectories. So, you know, Massacre said like pretty much up to like you know throughout Cuban Links when he was on Glaciers of Ice. These were like all of his like these were like all of his first rhymes. Like he was literally just like writing his rhymes and then like spitting them when he had the, like the chance to do it. And then you know, you God, he you know he kind of he he lost a step when he was like in and out of jail during that period when Wu Tang was starting like to like to move around. So. Um, you know, so I think, it, you know, I think it, it kind of makes sense. But the reason why I said, and, you know, with Master Killer, if he would have came out like with an album around the, the time of Glaciers of Ice, I, at least for me, I think it probably would have been one of the best albums ever made in I, life. But, <laughs> Glaciers of Ice <laughs> is like top five Wu-Tang song for me. So I definitely cannot, I will not argue that. I uh, had to, just real quick side note, I had to say, I drove from Pittsburgh. I was thinking I was 17. I drove from Pittsburgh to State College, Penn State, for uh, to visit my girlfriend. It's like a three-hour trip. Didn't tell her. And I borrowed this, like, fat chick's car from high school that I was trying to run game on just to, like, get her to, to take her car. She let me use it. I drove the whole way to Penn State. It was like a three-and-a-half-hour drive. The only thing I had was the Glacier's Ice single on cassette, and it played <laughs> the, 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 the dirty version and then the instrumental on the other side was the radio version. And after I listened to that for three straight hours, bumping, driving in a snowstorm, going like 95 miles an hour. Well, I mean, well, Glaciers of Ice, I mean, it is an icy sounding record. That and Ice Water. Um, yeah, Ice Water, nice. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, I'm sorry. But yeah, you got, um, yeah, so when it comes to you got you got the reason why I say that is like I they do have like kind of similar like sounding voices you got in ODB but you got and I kind of I recently came to this realization that you got he likes to sing too. Yeah, I heard that. I never heard him sing, but I, I have heard that he does. Um, to be honest, I'm not familiar with uh, a lot of a lot of uh, you got albums after like I I check them. I always check a Wu Tang album if it comes out. Doesn't matter who it is, if it's an official member or Kappa. I, I check it out or any like Killer Priest, the, the, the uh, 
um, the people from that, the affiliates that I like. But um, I always check you, God. But I, other than uh, his first, well, what's the uh, person with damage and uh, not damage? Um, uh, uh, what's the first? Oh, is it Golden? Golden oh, gold, gold, Golden Oz Redemption. Yeah, Redemption. Yeah. That, that first album, I like that album. And a lot of people shit, shit on it, but I think it's good. And there's an Inspector Deck beat on that one of those songs that's just one of the best. Yeah, uh, Rumble. Rumble. Oh my God, that beat is amazing. That's like one of my favorite tracks of all time. Um, Deck doesn't get enough credit either, but I think this. Yeah, he, he does not. Yeah, he doesn't, man. Oh yeah, he doesn't. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, just what I was gonna say is, um, I, I haven't heard you guys sing. I mean, I'm sure it would be good. I don't think. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's, it's tough for me, man. You guys are just my least favorite member, and I hate to say that. It's like saying you have a least favorite. Uh, I don't know, like your least favorite head that you've ever got is still head you know what i'm saying like it's amazing but uh it's just like i i hate to i don't want to dog you guys but I, he's just my least favorite wu-tang man oh i mean well, i mean the, i mean well we i think we all have our, our most favorite and least favorite wu-tang members i mean i i, I i've talked to people and i've talked to some people you know when i've told them i've, I've do the wu-tang podcast or whatever like that and some people said like they think riz is one of the like, yeah the a lot ones. of people don't like riz I've, I've come across people saying that yeah. too they don't like but I know that Rizzo verse. He, he's kind of sloppy sometimes, but that verse where he says the uh, uh, "grow like a fetus with no hands and feet to complete us, so we return like Jesus when the whole world needs us." I, no, I forget what album that or what song that is, but that's that Rizzo verse is top twenty verse of all time. Yeah, but you, but then like one time I was in Canada and um, I was talking to someone about I, I was somehow somewhere I, I mentioned Wu Tang. I was listening to some kind of Wu Tang album, and this guy he like a black guy from the Netherlands. And he said, you know, he barely spoke English, but he just said Bobby Digital, Bobby Digital, <laughs> best album ever made. I like that album. A lot of people <laughs> don't like it either. A lot of people don't like the two Riz albums, and they're not as good as, you know, some of the other ones. But I like both of the Riz albums. Domestic Violence, both of, both of them are really good. The second one's really good with Big Gift. A lot of people don't like that either. I love that. I like that album a lot. I don't know. I guess it's, yeah, just, it's personal yeah, taste, you know. But going back going back to ODB, um, Throughout this whole process, you know, someone who does uh, who who's kind of forgotten about in this process sometimes is Buddha Monk. You know, if you look at his book, I just feel I just feel kind of bad for him, like the kind of weight that he had to deal with, like you know, being uh, ODB's keeper and everything like that for quite quite a while. And then like with this album, I think it took about two to three years to make. That's, Jesus Christ! Yeah, especially for as like, and when you really look at it, he reuses a verse on three different songs. He uh, uh, the intro. Uh, drunk game is a throwaway. So if you think about it, he only really had to write, and there's a lot of uh, guest appearances. So to take two or three years to write, maybe you know, thirteen, fourteen verses is, is uh, that's uh, that's not a good. <laughs> that's not, you know what I mean. That's tough. That that's not that's not a, that's not okay. I'd be very upset if I was the, the label or even RZA and Buddha Monkey. Yeah, I had to deal with a lot of shit. I just found out about that book today, man. I read Digging in the Dirt. Um, which is, is, have you read that? So that, that, I forget her name. This white chick from uh, New York wrote it. Um, oh, oh, uh, James, James Lowy, Jamie Lowy. Yeah, Lowy. I read that and that was good. But, uh, I just found out about that, uh, the Bad Buddha Monk book today doing research for this. And uh, I downloaded it and didn't have time throughout the day to even look at it. I was looking at so much other stuff. Yeah, I I haven't checked out Jamie's book yet, but I know like a lot of it revolves around like mental health and uh, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, she she does she does trying to kind of uh, preach with it and not, but it, it it's it's more about oh dirty than you think it is. A lot of people said that when I talk about it with people is that she tries to make it about all this other stuff, but I mean it's about old dirty that's for sure. 
it's pretty interesting. I, I recommend it for sure. See, it's one thing about Wu Tang, man. When you doing when you doing stuff in, like regarding Wu Tang, you, uh, you there's always something, always something. <laughs> yeah, <you> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so ODB. So um, also, you know, what's interesting about this album is like, you know, how well I, in so many words, how hands on ODB was when it came to the production, when it came to like, you know, trying to weed out, um, you know, certain things that he didn't, he may not necessarily like like in certain beats, and even producing like certain beats himself, like the Stomp. Um, like how he kind of started like the beat off and I believe it was um, True Master who helped like, you know, finish it up and got a co-production credit and everything like that. Um, as well as I believe uh, Brooklyn Zoo, he uh, he co-produced that as well. Well, you know, but you say that, yeah. but then we just say it took two or three years to finish it. So how hands on could he have been? <laughs> well, well, we'll see. Well, but that's the thing. Well, you know, Buddha Monk was always in the studio working on the album day in, day out with RZA by himself and everything like that. And ODB, he would call in or check right. in, and or he would call RZA and say, "Hey, yo, what's in that, what's in that beat or some shit like that?" And like, you know, you gotta take that out. I hear like a beep or something right. like yeah, that. Yeah, he said he could, he could, he couldn't even hear it in the studio. What old dirty could hear it over the phone? That's <laughs> wild, man. Some people just have that. I mean, like I said, it's that's God given, man. Whatever it is, is you, you're born with that shit. I think he has a good voice. A lot of people said his voice is bad. There's a couple of times where. Uh, he has, it's actually, I don't know if pretty is the word, melodic. Uh, he's actually melodic and he's on tone. The one song uh, where he just does the, oh, where he's doing the, uh, let's see who could do this the longest. Uh, when he gets real loud at there at the end. Yeah, going yeah, down. I mean, when he gets loud on that, like that's like a powerful, powerful voice. I mean, it's not like CeeLo Green, but I mean, it's, uh, he, he's got, there's some, there's some power behind that voice. Yeah, yeah, it is, and you know, like should that song just—I mean, like the fact that he had his wife literally come to the studio and literally talk about him fucking with groupies and I everything know. like that, and then he just goes and sings <laughs> somewhere over the rainbow. I know, it's so funny. I love it, man. I love that. That's what I love. That's one of the things that obviously people like him, but I, I just love that shit, man. I, and to me, I'm a big—I'm a big comedy fan, um, and I'm a big hip hop fan. So when an MC is funny. And self-deprecating, um, and uh, like I, I mean, I love that man. I, I love people that can make me laugh and impress me with their rhymes. That's, I mean, Biggie was really funny. Um, I don't really listen to Eminem, but he's really funny. And that's why I appreciated him when he first came out. Old Dirty, uh, the Alcoholics, the Beat Nuts. You know what I mean? These cats that can be like funny, but really on their MC shit. I love that. Those are the cats that I really like listening to. Yeah, and you know, speaking of which, uh, that song that ODB had with the alcoholics back in the day, uh, the hip hop song, bang, banger, song. banger, yeah. yeah. Even like the the influence, like of like Brooklyn Zoo, like yeah, uh, like how, like how Brooklyn Zoo, because like, or you know, like even during the time, you know, Mariah Carey loved ODB, and then like you know, years later, like over twenty years later, Adele and her producer uh, Paul Epworth, uh, that song "Rolling in the Deep," like the bridge to it or whatever, like that was influenced by. Uh, by Brooklyn Zoo. Really? Really? How? I guess not. I'm trying to like picture the song and hear how, like, and what the the, uh, the production of it, the lyrics, how's this? Did they, uh, uh, so, so the uh, the production of it, so pretty much um, Paul Epworth said, I believe I'm saying his, his name, I know his, his last name's Epworth. He said that for the bridge or whatever like that, because like he was like trying, he was influenced by various songs, but he said for the bridge, he was trying to make the bridge kind of sound like the piano on Brooklyn. Oh, Zero. wow. That's wild. Yeah. I can kind of see, I can kind of see that. That's a great song. I mean, I'm not a big Adele fan. Not that she's bad. I just don't listen to that type of music too often, but uh, that's a, that's a great a well-produced song. I mean, it, it's propulsive. 
But yeah, but then, but the thing about, so this is the thing about this album. So you have Shimmy Shimmy Ya, right? You know, he's, he literally means, you know, raw. And then you have Don't You Know, and then, you know, we were talking through uh, through email the other day about Don't You Know Part 2. Yeah, I never heard it until the other day. Someone just I, yeah. ran, randomly put it at the end of the album on uh, YouTube, and they just started, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Well, for me, um, I think Don't You Know Part 2 could have gone on the album, and Drunk Game could have been taken off. I, I don't need Drunk Game I'm on with you album. 100%. But I think he just wanted to have a song where he sang the whole song. Yeah, I mean, and I'm pretty sure, like, cause I mean, I know, like, you know, RZA said that, you know, it's a method to how the album was, you know, how, how they place the tracks. But I'm like, look, man, like, it seems to me that ODB probably yelled at yeah. him over the phone and said, look, Drunk it's Game has to be on the album. The, the, part, <laughs> the funniest part of that song to me is when he's naming all the uh, all the singers in the background that, that influenced them, which was a nice touch. But when he says, uh, Sherry Jones, like his mom, he just, like, throws his yeah. mom out in the middle. Uh, yeah, you're right, though. That, that sound could have been left. Um, I didn't even grade that because I don't. I didn't even think it was like a real song. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. Well, um, actually, well, Hippo to the Hops one was is one of my uh, one one of my favorite tracks on here. It's because like the beat is so like the beat just doesn't make any yeah, sense. I didn't, it's it weird. Is, I, I, I don't. I don't. It's one of my it one of my least favorite beats on here. But the, that like frog. When he, like, you know how Rizzo will like basically. See, to me, RZA has a verse in every Wu-Tang song, even if he doesn't rhyme. RZA will always have a verse on every Wu-Tang song because even if he doesn't rhyme on it, he'll let his beat ride for like a minute at least, or 45 seconds, about the length of a verse. Like the end, end of yeah. Little Ghetto Boys, hip it to the hopover. He'll just take things in and out, you know what I mean, to let you hear like how complex and how many different elements are actually in the beat. And at the end of Hip It to the Hopper, there's that... You know what I'm talking? Dude, that <laughs> yeah. shit is ill to me. Like that's one of the illest samples to me. And uh, I like that. I don't like that beat that much. But when that shit comes in at the end, like I love it. You know what I mean? So even what I don't like on this album, I love. I think. Well, well, I guess we can talk about like top top three favorite um tracks on here. Actually, my top three they they're like all in a line. So it's eight, nine, and ten. So don't mm. you know the stomp and going down? That, that, wow, those are. I'm really surprised it's been going down. I love that song. A lot of people think it's a stupid song, but it's. I think it's amazing. And that's the one where they talked about him using that old. I would guess that was a Rizza verse because because Jizza doesn't like clown a lot, and to start your verse mm. with went to school nine thirty, you late. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem like something Jizza would would uh, say. So I would guess that would be a old Rizzaverse. Um, those are amazing picks. What did you say? Uh, uh, raw, uh, tell me again. Oh, no, no. Well, so well, my, oh. my top three are Don't You Know, The Stomp, and Going oh, Down. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Well, all right. So, well, Going Down, I think I think it's the, well, I think outside like Shimmy Shimmy Ya, I think Going Down is like the most ODB song on here and just like he had he's like over just randomly harmonizing because he has you know he's really nostalgic too throughout the entire album it's like the whole old school shit and various ways of how he of how he represents it through like his lyrics and like the whole all together things that he does with Jizza and Rizza on the album, um, but then also just like I mean it, it's just fun and then I I just love the part where like when his wife comes in he's just singing and then and then he goes back to like being all like braggadocio and and everything like that um uh, don't you know. I, I love the beat, and because the thing was, like, I forgot about Don't You Know Part Two, so I'm glad that you emailed me about it. The thing was, though, I, I love, I just love like the like the vocal sample. I can't remember which sample it is, but I love like how it comes back in, and then when he like when it like when the beat breaks down, but um, 
Also, I, I like Killer Priest verse because it's a really balanced song. Like, and then like how his whole story, like we'll try and get this girl. But then I love his ad libs. I love how he, how they did the ad libs. How like it's panned to I think like the like the right, and then it's like, and then it's kind of it's like it's like uh, spaced out like a bit more, and then like it's it just like the way it hits. I just love it. Like it just makes it like really like kind of spaced out and like a little. I don't know, kind of like a little creepy too, because I mean, the song itself is creepy as fuck anyway, <laughs> based on what ODB so, said. I agree 100%. The, kid, <laughs> the Killer Priest verse is, uh, is that the one where he's like, uh, um, last night we were shooting dice getting nice, son of to play his armor, or is that, is that the other one that he's on? No, yeah, yeah, that, that was on Snakes. This is a uh, meta girl named oh, yeah, Sean yeah, yeah. from Down Yonder. He's um he's a he's a good storyteller. It's funny, Killer Priest sounds real different on this album than he did on uh, even his first album. He's a lot more like uh, he has a lot more space and he leaves a lot more space in between his uh, his lines on the knee. Like back here, he's on some more like classic MC shit, like some Inspector Deck type flow, like a Nas, not Nas, but you know, what I mean, like a lyricist type flow. Um, but yeah, his verse on that and his verse on Snakes are amazing. And his verse on, uh, what is it? Um, not Brooklyn uh, Z2 or uh, yeah, Tech Connect 2. Yeah, his verse on that is really, really good. So going down Stomp and Don't You Know. Stomp is a banger, dude. That was a song other than, to me, that was the most, and that's not to shit on it by saying radio friendly. Um, I thought that was going to be uh, the third single after, I'm surprised he didn't have a third single, but. After Shimmy Shimmy Ah and Baby Come On, the next, or excuse me, uh, Shimmy Shimmy Ah and Brooklyn Zoo, the next song I would have released would have been Stomp. Because um, to me, to me, mm-hmm. that's a, that could be played on the radio. That's a catchy beat. Not catchy, but like, you know what I mean? It bangs. My three favorites. Going Down, for sure. I gave it a 10 and a 10 on uh, uh, beat and, uh, and, and lyrics. And uh, like I said, the strength of his voice and uh, that, uh, ooh, on the BNMC. <laughs> like that shit uh so dope to mm-hmm. me man i love the shit that he does with his voice and that song is amazing harlem world is my favorite song in this album and probably my favorite hip-hop song of all time third we can get into harlem world if you want to have some stuff written on it i guess third would be even though i don't i mean i have brooklyn zoo as a 10 and a 10 but it's not my fact, I don't go back to that song. A lot of times I'll skip it because I've heard it so much. I like Baby Come On. The track for Baby Come On is just so good. And uh, maybe uh, maybe Snakes. Yeah, it's Snakes. Snakes, Harlem World, and Going Down for sure. And then Baby Come On comes in right behind it. Snakes, to me, uh, Buddha Monk's verse, I mean, it's, I think his is pretty short on that, right? I don't remember if that's that one or the other one where he has the real short. Oh, no, that's the other one. But re- I like Riz's verse. I like uh, uh, Killer Priest's verse is amazing in that song, and Old Dirty Old Dirty's yeah. is cool. That sample um, and the bassline on that song is like one of my favorites of all time. It's so propulsive. Dirty has the worst verse on Snakes by far. You know what I mean? Obviously, it's it's kind of a throwaway, um, but uh, yeah, I just love the song. You know what I mean? Like I just, I mean, Old Dirty's clowning or whatever. But um, what do you think that? Uh, uh, and Har- Harlem World, I'll get into in a sec. Do you think that? Uh, a lot of people like what you were saying earlier is don't you know two could have been on here but to me then that would have been brooklyn zoo brooklyn zoo two damage damage two protect your neck two and then don't you know and don't you know two you know what i'm saying it was like to me like the, and like you said earlier how did it take three years to make like you know i, I don't know it just seemed like that would have been a lot of uh, <laughs> to have like four part ones and part twos all on one album 
it's like to be continued uh in a song in two songs <laughs> you know what i'm saying well i mean well i think i think one reason why like uh don't you know the storm and going down because i think all of, I, I feel like all of them are nothing more than like sweets to like a larger song so i, I feel like all together they're like one song that's a good point yeah the, how they all run together i agree i think that the, the mm-hmm. middle the, the run from rawhide to uh actually you can even skip rawhide and damage from where you said yeah don't you know through don't you know storm going down then it goes to drunk game skip drunk game snakes damage too and eh, you can i could lose that as far as like that run um but then Brooklyn Zoo 2, Protect Your Neck 2, I think are both really, really good. Very underrated songs. Cutting Heads, Dirty Dancing in Harlem. Yeah, basically, I mean, dude, there, there's not no weak links to me in this, but that stretch from uh, Don't You Know through Snakes without Drunk Game is amazing. I think I think the irony is that you know like you know uh, RZA said that you know especially for like all the first albums especially like Cuban Links like he wanted to like kind of make them into like you know mm-hmm. movies which is true but I think that uh, just aesthetically and just like how all these others like how these songs run together I think that I really think that honestly like this album could be turned into like a musical. Wow, that's a good point. I never I would never think that, and you're totally totally right. Yeah, so with all that being said, um, ODB certainly a very great album, one of the most eccentric. Um, one of the most creative voices that I think hip hop has ever seen. Um, but with all that being said, you can find us at uh, Wu Tang Podcast on Twitter, Wu Tang Podcast on Instagram. I'm, I'm starting to put up like little clips on Instagram and shit about you know, certain little highlights from episodes um, and you know months past or whatever like that. You can hit me up at Wu Tang Podcast at gmail.com if you want to just hit me up, talk to me about whatever coming to podcast. We can do it. And with all that, we out. Peace.